Who would like to know what the will of God is for their life, exactly what it is? Who would give me a fiver? If I could tell you specifically, undoubtedly, clearly what God's will is for your life. Only two. Well, well, I'm in a generous mood, so put it in the offering next week. But I, I felt that I wanted to talk this morning uh, on perhaps a difficult subject and I've headed it, Lifestyle Changes, which prepare us to be set apart for God's use. Paul, writing in the, the book of Thessalonians, says, this is the will of God concerning you. Wow. Listen, Paul's going to tell me that God wants me to be a great preacher, a great evangelist, a gospel singer. No. This is the will of God concerning you, even your sanctification. Now that word perhaps doesn't mean a lot to us today, but it did in those days. It was a word that was used to describe certain vessels in the temple. Their only use was for use in the temple. If it was meant to contain oil, it wasn't allowed to have anything else in it. It was set apart for that use. And Paul says, God's will for each of us as Christians is that we become like that vessel, set apart, reserved, wholly available for God to pick up and use at any time. I worked for the Prudential for 30 years and I remember going into a, <coughs> a house and the people said to me, would you like a drink of tea? I said, I, I don't drink tea, thanks. Would you like a drink of Ribena? And I, I knew the state of the house. I thought, I can't go far wrong with Ribena, you know. Yeah, I'll have a glass of Ribena. And uh, I'm not lying. The, the man went and <coughs> picked a glass tumbler up, held it up to the light, saw there were lip marks round the rim, took his handkerchief out of his pocket, <coughs> gave the glass a good wipe, put the Ribena in and the water, and beaming held it. Now that, that glass wasn't sanctified. <laughs> that glass wasn't separated, wholly available, clean, usable, ready for whenever the master wanted to pick it up. But Paul says that's what God's will is for us, to be sanctified. Sanctification also has, has a connection with, with another Bible word, holiness. And I think sometimes we've corrupted the, the idea of, of being holy and it's almost become a, a, a goody-goody sort of thing. You know, I'm better than him. I'm better than, he, than you, you know, you. Yeah. 
But if we think of the word holy and then put a W at the front of it, and holy means W-H, holy, available to God for him to pick up and use us any time he wants. And of necessity, that would mean lifestyle changes because you can come to God in any mess that you want. You can come to God in absolute shipwreck. You can come to God a filthy, horrible mess and he'll deal with it. He'll clean you up. Paul, writing to one church, says, talks about awful kinds of sin and he says, such were some of you. <laughs> but God has cleansed you. Isn't that fantastic? You can come to Jesus Christ this morning just as you are. But you can't continue like that. God wants to use vessels that are clean, that are wholesome, that are fit for purpose, and maybe lifestyle changes are needed. And people who are sanctified, ready for God to use, I believe one of the first keys is that they are prayerful people. In fact, the first sign that we've committed our life to Christ should be that we pray. Paul was, um, if you were a Christian in the early days and you heard that Paul was in the area before Paul's conversion, fear, fear hit you because Paul was known as an arch-persecutor of Christians. And in one of his sermons in later life, Paul says, I persecuted the church of God. I put them in prison. And when there was a vote as to whether they should be put to death, I cast my vote against them. And when Stephen was stoned to death, Paul held the clothes of those so they could throw the stones unencumbered and yet it became noised abroad that Paul had become a Christian and uh, I guess people were saying is it, a, is it a set up is it a trap you know we need to be very careful and then God said to a guy called Ananias I want you to go and lay hands on Paul and pray for him what? We, we all know what kind of guy, yeah. It could be a trick. Go and pray for Paul. And God said an amazing thing. He said, you'll know he's changed. Behold, he prayeth. And the one who had P-R-E-Y-E-D prayed upon Christians through the grace of God prayed P-R-A-Y-E-D I don't know what the first sign was that you'd become a Christian was it that you began to read the Bible was it that you began to study the Bible was it that you began to tell people about your faith that's all good <laughs> but the real foundation is what Paul achieved back in the Acts of the Apostles Behold, he's praying. I don't think Paul was praying for the nation. I don't think he was praying against corruption in high places. 
Paul was beginning to get to know God for himself. Paul was beginning his relationship with God, was hearing with God for his future, for the direction of his life. And more importantly, Paul was finding himself in the private place where he found God. Behold, he prayeth. People who are set apart for God to use must be prayerful. In later life, Paul achieved a great deal. I don't think it would have been possible had it not been for those quiet times when God did things to him, through him, and with him. Someone said um, seven prayerless days make one week. W-E-A-K. Remember that? It's an old one, isn't it? <laughs> seven prayerless days make one week. Behold, he prayeth. Someone said prayer is the Christian's vital breath, the Christian's native air, his watchword at the gates of death. He enters heaven with prayer. I don't think that just means at death. There can be a daily experience of entering heaven through prayer. Those that God use are prayerful. I believe, secondly, that those who God used must be clean. Isaiah commands, be clean, all you who bear the vessels of the sanctuary. If God has a ministry which you're going to carry out for him, the prerequisite is that we must be clean. Ephesians 5, Paul again Follow God's example, and as dearly beloved children, walk in the way of love just as Christ did. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper. These are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place but rather giving thanks and then Paul says be sure no immoral impure or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of God I don't think that means if you're impure you can't get into the kingdom of God I think what Paul is saying is that if, if that's your lifestyle, then you are not yet in the kingdom of God. Because when you come into the kingdom of God, God cleans you up. God wants clean vessels. <clears throat> I grew up in a, in a large church in Wakefield, and uh, there was a... There was a, a brother there that was probably about 15 years older than me and he came for tea once or twice and we, we got friendly and one night we'd been to the prayer meeting and we, we were walking up to the bus station walking up Market Street 
and uh, I was aware that there was four or five young ladies walk, walking down the street. And I was suddenly aware that Brian had hidden his Bible behind his back. And I thought, hmm, oh, you know. So I held mine where it could be seen. And then one of these ladies, oh, there's Brian. Oh, hello, Brian. Oh, oh. Uh, what are you doing in these parts, Brian? Um, um, so I jumped in with both feet, you know. We've just been to church. We've been to a prayer meeting. What? You? Brian, you been to church? You've slept with every girl in the in the office. You must be joking, you know. And I thought, no wonder. He hid his Bible. <laughs> I wonder when the last time was that we needed to hide our Bible <laughs> behind our back. People that are set apart for God. Sanctified people must be clean. I'm not sure whether I've got a lot of time to deal with the next one, but I'll just... For God to use us, God's will for us is that we must be free from hypocrisy. I'd love to give um, Steve Beckett a challenge. (laughs) Jesus painted a cartoon picture with words. And he, he, he drew this picture of a man with a huge plank of wood sticking out of his eye. <laughs> and as he's walking along, he's having to hold this plank, you know. And then he says to his brother, Oi, you've got a speck of dust in your eye. And Jesus says, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. How... And the real thing was not because he had a plank in his eye. The real issue was that he he was pretending he could see. And he couldn't. And he was in no position whatever to judge. Because he was worse than the guy he was trying to judge. And um, Jesus had an issue with hypocrisy. He didn't declare war on many... (laughs) categories of people but one of the categories of people that he declared war on were the hypocrites and uh, 15 times in the gospel Jesus says to people you hypocrite and it's interesting because the the word used that's translated translated hypocrite literally is a play actor it's a play actor Our faith must be real. It must be transparently honest. It must be sincere. There was... um, The word sincere comes from uh, two words, sign, sera. And those two words mean without wax. And if a craftsman made a marble statue and it went wrong and there was cracks in it. Oh, I can't sell this like that. So he would melt some wax and he would fill the cracks. It would look perfectly okay. 
until you plonked it in your window and the sun shone. <laughs> and the cracks would show. And so as a guarantee that what you were buying was free from wax, it had the sign on it, Sign Sierra. Free from wax. So you were buying an unblemished, perfect item. And from that, those two words, Sign Sierra, we've got the word sincere. Literally means you haven't covered anything up. You haven't pretended to be what you're not. People that God uses should be free from hypocrisy. People that God used to must be faithful. It's strange, isn't it? But every disciple Jesus called w w was busy in gainful employment when he, when he chose them. I'm not saying that if you haven't got a job, then God doesn't... Uh, but God, God does look for people who can be just, can be good stewards, and can commit themselves to something and be faithful to it. I don't believe in the kingdom of God that rewards and recognition are to do with success and performance. If that were the case, somebody like Billy Graham, who's seen millions and millions of people come into God's kingdom, he deserves his reward. But somebody said to Billy Graham one day, your reward when you get to heaven must be huge. And he smiled and he said, it will be no greater than the little man who was the caretaker of the church I grew up in. Because he was faithful to what God called him to do. And he stuck at it. Sunday after Sunday, the place was clean, warm, welcoming. He was faithful. It's a good job, isn't it, that God doesn't reward what we've actually achieved. But God rewards how faithful we are. And if God wants a job done, he'll look for somebody who he knows is faithful. And we'll stick it out and we'll see it through. <clears throat> when uh, Jesus told the story of the, the man who gave out amounts of money to his servants and said, trade, trade with it. It's interesting that um, the master handed them out to each servant in accordance with that servant's ability. So God will never expect you to do something that is beyond your capacity. And then when you've done it, when you've been faithful in it and you've succeeded, he'll stretch it. He'll give you something a little bit more demanding. But God looks for faithfulness. Not people who jack in at the first obstacle, but people who stick it out. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The, uh, <clears throat> one, one police uh, force set an examination paper. And in the examination paper there was this question... You're on duty in the town centre on a busy sunny afternoon when a milk float 
breaks down on the humpback bridge, which is a single lane track over the river. You're approaching the broken down milk flow to see what you can do when you hear an awful crash and you see that two cars have crashed head on further up the street and you can hear the child screaming from one of the cars. So you start to rush over there to see what you can do and you hear a screech of brakes and a huge splash and a petrol tanker to try and avoid it has braked and swerved and is in the river upside down. You're just about to run to the river to see what you can do and a lady who is nine months pregnant falls down in the street and goes into labor. This was a genuine examination question. The question was, what would you do? <laughs> I think David knows the answer. And one candidate who no doubt failed wrote, I would remove my uniform <laughs> and mingle with the crowd. <laughs> faithfulness we're in uniform we were in the supermarket the other week and I was pushing the trolley to the checkout and I looked down I couldn't believe there's a 20 pound note under our trolley <laughs> and I looked round and yes it's a 20 pound note it up, it was in my hand, safely in my hand. Do you know the first words that came into my mind? You're in uniform, you're in uniform. And I touched the lady in front, excuse me, love, have you lost any money? Oh, 20 pound, it's here. How awful if I put it in my pocket and somebody here this morning had seen me. You know. When we're in the kingdom of God, we're in uniform. When did we last need to take it off? <clears throat> Some of it's been a bit heavy, hasn't it? <laughs> But you know, we heard this morning that God wants to do something fresh. And there was a guy in the Old Testament called Samson. And it was said of Samson that he would be separated for God to use right from his birth. And the Spirit of God was with him and he did mighty things. But he did things that made him have to hide his Bible behind his back. He took his uniform off. <clears throat> he compromised. He got into uncleanness. And when the challenge came, he said, I'll get up like at other times and I'll deal with the Philistines. But he did not know that the Spirit of God had left him. And he was impotent, he 
It was ineffective. It was powerless. It lost it all because of the way that he'd lived. And in repentance, he cried to God and said, Oh God, give me another go. And God's spirit came upon him again. And it says that Samson achieved more victories in his death than he'd achieved in the whole course of his life. Have you taken your uniform off? Have you had to hide your Bible behind your back? Have you got into uncleanness? Are you aware this morning that the Spirit of God is no longer with you in the same way? Perhaps you have neglected your prayer life. God wants to do something fresh. And just as Samson received a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God upon him, God in grace wants to restore, to energize, to equip. And whatever you've done, he wants to dust you down and say, have another go. Thank you.